This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. I hope everyone's doing well. Turn to your neighbor this morning. Tell them you are thankful you're sitting by them. Even if it's a lie, it's okay. I'm just messing. We don't lie in church. You guys are all going to hell. No, just messing around. Um, anyway, I'm excited that you're here today. Um, I'm thankful um, that you're here. Um, again, I, uh, this week has been hard for a number of families. I know that. And so um, I know that a moment like this is meaningful. So even if you're coming in the best day of your life, your presence here is impacting other people. So thanks for making this a priority. I believe God's going to move. I believe he's already moved. Um, I believe he has a word for you today. And I'm excited for it. Um, before we jump into that, I have a couple things of business. First of all, I was going to say pray for summer camp, but the video announcements did that. Allie did that, so, but I'll just add one more time. Pray for summer camp. Um, it's going to be a blast, but it's five days, and I like my beauty sleep, so who knows? I may come back next weekend and not even be saved anymore. I don't, I don't know. We just got to pray for my salvation. No, I'm just with you. I just want to, I want to specifically ask you to pray for the students' lives. Um, I can think back into multiple summer camps and events like this where I was either called in a ministry, affirmed in my ministry, or overall just changed by Jesus in my heart. And so I want to see that same thing happen in these students. Um, I don't want the, the statistic that when people get to 18, they leave the church. I want them to be so radically changed by Jesus right now that they, they keep a lifelong relationship with him. So would you agree with, agree with me in prayer for that this week, Monday through Friday? We'll be back Friday night. Um, if you feel like it, you can um, console me by sending me coffee or something. No, it's not with you. Uh, but anyway, it will be good. Also, I want to announce that on Friday this week, Pastor Rhonda had her fifth of six chemo sessions completed. So we put our hands together. I believe that they're watching online. So hopefully they hear through this mic, your, your hand claps. Um, we know the journey ahead for her is long, but it's a celebration to go, man, chemo. We're almost done with chemo, hopefully forever in the name of Jesus, hopefully forever, um, and that we can just keep moving forward. Her body is very tired, but her spirit's strong. Um, my mother has an amazing spirit, and so today I'm just agreeing with Jesus that he can um, move in her body and help her not to feel that pain. We're also wanting to pray for Pastor Kevin. Um, he's right there alongside of her. Um, and just like, again, you guys feel weights of life. They're feeling weights of life in a lot of different ways, so we're just going to pray for them actually in a moment again. Um, but Again, I would I encourage you to reach out to them and say, hey, we care about you. This week they're going to be recovering from this chemo, and then the next week they're headed out on vacation, so they'll be gone for some while. But keep them in your thoughts and prayers. Let them know you miss them. And last but not least, uh, I have, like, sad but good news. So I'm going to ask Blake Anderson to stand up. You can just stay there. I won't make you come up. And Gideon to stand up. He's in the back. Um, we can put our hands together for them. You don't even know what for, but... Uh, today has been a spot on the calendar for me coming up for a while. No, you have to stay standing. I'm talking about you. You don't sit down. You have to take the embarrassment. You too, Gideon. You can't hide back there behind screens. Gavin will get it next service, so it's fine. Anyway, these young men, um, I've had the privilege of being their youth pastor for a couple years. Um, they were well um, on their way in faith before that, but I've had the privilege of just being a part of their life. And they are all actually leaving RLC, not because they hate you, but because God's calling them into a new season of life. So um, I want to pray over them. Again, we're going to do that in a second, but I also want to just honor them. They all have served faithfully. Um, Gavin's been a drummer. He's done also many other things. When we did East Campus Remodel, the Anderson family was here. They were helping us with it. Those boys probably carried more things than you've carried in your life. Gideon, um, he served in media. He's done multiple things. And so we're losing people that have served you faithfully for many years, but also love Jesus. And so I want to, again, pray over them. But um, 
I also want to just say thank you. I, I believe in each one of you guys. You guys are amazing. Um, Blake is going to Idaho to pursue a degree in social work, which is really cool. He's wanting to go change people's lives, so we're going to agree in prayer with that. Gideon wants to be a sparky, so he's going to be, learn to be an electrician in Idaho, so pray he doesn't like, shock himself. Um, and, and Gavin, last but not least, he's going to be heading to the Marines. He flies out next week, so you can be praying for the Anderson parents, of course. That's like a really hard thing, but when I look at Gavin, there's no doubt in my mind that he's doing the wrong thing. Like, he's built for this. He loves this, and I believe truly, <laughs> everyone's laughing. I truly believe Gavin. Gavin's someone that will change everyone around him. He's going to walk into that boot camp. He's going to walk into any, any scenario he's in, and he's going to change it. So anyway, would you agree with me in prayer real quick as we pray over them? God, I just thank you for the Anderson boys, God, and Gideon. God, I pray that as this is their last week with us. God, I pray um, that you would just bless them. God, we thank you that you've gifted us for so many years, God, with the ability to be a part of their lives, that they would influence us, God, and serve us. And I pray that this next season, God, this next journey would be full of you. God, that you would bring along spouses if it's supposed to be. God, you'd bring along the right jobs, the right friends. God, the right careers. God, financial help where there needs to be some. God, and most importantly, I pray that they just stay in love with you. And we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, I'm going to say amen. All right, with that, yeah, one more round of applause. That's good. And don't, don't worry, mom and dad. I'll pray for you in a second. I got one more prayer. You got to have certain amounts of prayer to get through a message. Otherwise, God ain't a part and going to work. Okay, so we're stepping into week two of a series called Seven. And how many people were here last week to hear Seven? I just want to get a rough estimate. Okay, if you're not here, it's okay. I'm going to recap for you real quick. This was an amazing week last week. I would encourage you, though, you do need to go back and listen to this message because it was so foundational. We specifically talked about something that mattered to the rest of the series. So you won't be behind today, but I I would encourage you to go listen to it so you have more context. So today we're stepping into week two. So you're like, why seven? So maybe some of you forgot or you just need to know again. But seven is not because I ran out of creative titles. We named it seven on purpose. See, the number seven is super important in the world today. There's seven days in a week. There's seven continents, seven colors in a rainbow. I can go down the line. Same time, there's sevens all over the Bible, right? We see that God rested on the seventh day and then created Sabbath, which is like this thing that Jews believed in and you today should also go, man, I need to have a Sabbath. So we see seven all throughout the Bible. There's 735 occurrences of seven in the Bible. But arguably, one of the best, if not the best, is this account in John's gospel. His, so his eyewitness account in the New Testament of him looking at Jesus' life, and he wrote down as he unveiled these events of Jesus' life, seven statements that Jesus made. And these statements are known as the I am statements of Jesus. And in these statements, Jesus made seven declarations about himself of who he was. And as a believer, these are super important because like you say you believe in Jesus, you should know who you believe in, correct? I mean, some of you are like, your mind was just blown. You're like... <laughs> Wait, I thought we were here for free food. No, there's not food. That's the restaurant. No, I'm kidding. Um, anyway, so it's important. So last week we went, okay, before we can learn who Jesus is, we need to ask an important question, which is, why does it matter who Jesus is? So if you missed it, I'm going to sum it up this way. Your view of who Jesus is can be wrong, but when you get it right, it will change your life. And there's a lot of context to why I made that statement, and I believe it will radically change your life. It changed my life. It's continuing to change my life, and so I hope that it changes yours as well. 
So anyway, but today we're stepping into the first I am statement. And so I want to request and challenge once again, if you are able to make it in person to come the next six weeks after this or to watch online so you're hearing this content because it's going it's to be great for your faith. It's going to be great for your theology. And most importantly, the whole reason we do this is because we believe we need a relationship with Jesus. So we do need to know him. So anyway, with that being said, if you have a phone or a Bible, how many people brought like actual paper Bibles We got, or leather Bibles? All right. So some of you are saved. The rest of you are going to pray for you. No, I make a joke every week. Um, I'm going to ask everyone just for kicks to pull out your phone if you have it and actually read the scripture from your phone. I feel like maybe it will come through your hands into your brain better. So if you don't do that, it's fine. It's on the screen, but I'm just going to ask you to do that today just, just for kicks and giggles. So before we read this passage, so while you're flipping there, John 6, 25 to 35, before we read that, you need to have some context to what we're about to read. A couple things matter. Um, first of all, you need to understand that chronologically in John's eyewitness account, this is the first statement that Jesus made, the first I am statement Jesus made. And that's important because we're going to discover how foundational his claims were in the statement we look at today. And really, he kind of follows a pattern for the rest of the statements to come. And so I want to set that premise up. So chronologically, it's the first I am statement. The second thing, which is more for your information, because if you're like a Bible geek that is like me that loves the Bible, you like to know how things line up. So last week, we talked about Peter's confession of who Jesus was. That happens after the verse we read today. So just so your mind's functioning like this happened, took place before that. Third thing you need to know is this is again, kind of like last year, this is about two years into Jesus's three-year ministry, okay? So he did a three-year ministry before he died, rose, and went to heaven, okay? And so he's about two years into this. And so again, you have to remember, he has, he has collected a massive following of people, and also people want him dead. He's done so many miracles. He's taught so many radical things. He's, he's gotten the 12. He sent the 12 out to do ministry, and he has gotten himself some attention, okay? So that's where we find ourselves in John chapter 6, but I still can't stop explaining because we're reading verse 25 through 35, and this, this whole chapter is 71 verses long. Say thank you, John, for making it so long. No? Okay. I mean, it's, it's your loss because I have to explain more to you today. So sermon, just ex- like plan to get out of here at 1 o'clock. No, I'm just messing with you. Man, you guys are tough. Okay, here we go. Okay, so John chapter 6, 1 through 15. We see in John 6, chapter 1 through 15, the feeding of the 5,000. How many people have heard of this miracle? It's the only miracle that's repeated in all four Gospels. Um, it's it's a, an amazing miracle. Basically, Jesus takes five loaves, two fish. He multiplies them and feeds actually more like ten to 12,000 people because it says there's 5,000 men. So it didn't account for women and children, okay? So John chapter 6, this is what we see happens. Jesus and his disciples head out to a solitary place because we find out in Matthew and Mark's account that John the Baptist was just beheaded recently. So one of Jesus's relatives was just recently beheaded. And then we also find out the the 12 had just come back from a missionary journey. So they're tired. They need rejuvenation. It's like when you've worked all year long, you're like, I can't wait for two weeks of vacation, right? No one wants vacation, right? Okay, you guys are alive. So anyway, they, they go out on this solitary, this, this solitary place. Jesus looks up and he sees this massive crowd. Like how many people have seen 10,000 people coming towards you? It's not very common. Jesus was used to it, okay? So all these people are coming towards him. He's like, we need to feed them. So he looks over to Philip, one of the disciples, and he's like, hey, Philip, how are we going to feed these people? And John lets us in on the fact that he did this as a test because Jesus already knew he was going to multiply food and, and do this miracle. But John's logical and he's like, dude, this would take like half a year's wages just to like give each one of these people a bite of food, okay? In the meantime, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, finds this boy with two or five, five pieces of bread 
and two fish. And he comes to Jesus. Long story short, Jesus multiplies these loaves, feeds every single person. The passage tells us that they had as much as they wanted. In other words, they were either full and sitting there stuffed like after Thanksgiving, or they just were content. It's not like they were wanting more. We all know what Thanksgiving's like when you're like, I don't want any more food. So they had as much as they wanted, okay? So then after this, Jesus perceives that this crowd's about to take him by force and make him king. This is what the text says. I believe it's verse like 13, 14, or 15, somewhere in there. And, he's, and it says, the crowd was going to take him and make him king. And Jesus is like, A, I, it's not my time to be king. And B, I didn't come to be like your earthly king that was going to give you some bread. Okay? So he ends up stepping away from this crowd. The disciples get in a boat, and they start heading to a place called Capernaum, okay? And they're going across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is in a solitary place. He looks down. It's stormy. The disciples are in the middle of the lake. Jesus starts walking out to the disciples on the water. How many people have done that before? Anybody? No, it's pretty cool, okay? So Jesus walks out. They're freaking out because it's not a normal occurrence. Last time I checked. And he's like, hey, don't worry. It's me. It's Jesus. I'm going to get in the boat. It's like, don't worry about it. So he gets in the boat. And next thing you know, miraculously, they're on the other side of the lake. I don't know how that happened, but it's Jesus. So we don't ask. Jesus just does what he wants to do, right? Okay. So you guys all look glazed over. Now we have to read 10 10 verses of scripture, and then we're going to unpack the rest. Okay? So just smile. Have like a nice, pretty face on so Trenton feels better about himself. Here we go. John chapter 6, verse 25, it says, When they found him on the other side, so speaking of the crowd that was fed. Um, oh, I didn't mention. The crowd realized Jesus and the disciples were gone. So they decided we need to go find Jesus. So they sailed across the sea as well to find Jesus. So when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Rabbi means teacher. Jesus answered and says, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And when he says Son of Man, he's talking about himself. It says, For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Because if you notice, he said, Don't work for food. Work for food that goes to eternal life. So they said, Okay, so what work must we do? And he says, The work God wants you to do is this. It's to believe in the one he has sent. To believe in the one he has sent, a.k.a. he was talking about himself again. So they asked him, okay, so what sign will you give us that we may see it and believe that you're the one he sent? Are you guys stupid or did you guys forget that 12 hours ago this guy just made like a bunch of food for everyone? Okay, like do you see how ironic this is? Like the disciples were like, guys, last night he walked on water. I don't know how many people can do that, but it's not very many, okay? So this is ironic. You guys are not like feeling the drift here. This is a powerful passage of scripture, Okay. So what sign then will you give them that we may see it and believe? What will you do? Then they go, our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. If you don't know what manna is in Exodus, the Israelites got saved from from, um, slavery in Egypt. They're walking through the wilderness and they need food. God provides food from heaven called manna, okay? So they say, our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Okay, and it says, Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it wasn't Moses who gave you this bread. It was God. It was my father who gave you this bread. And then he says, my father is the one who gives you the true bread from heaven. And again, the true bread, he's meaning himself. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, sir, always give us this bread. And then Jesus makes the amazing I am statement of I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Say, I'm the bread of life. And say, I ain't going to go hungry. 
title of my message today is, I've eaten all sorts of bread, but I am still hungry. I've eaten all sorts of bread, but I am still hungry. I'm going to pray real quick, and then we're going to jump in. God, today I thank you for this opportunity to preach. God, I pray for my parents today. God, I pray that you just be with them, surround them. God, touch Pastor Rhonda's body. God, I pray that they would feel your peace and feel your love today. God, and I pray again over this message, God, that as these words go forth, God, people's hearts would be changed. God, that right now you'd be working in the soil of their heart, God, and they would hear clearly your voice, not my voice. God, I pray that I would get out of the way, God, and the Spirit would speak through me, God, even if it requires changing something I had planned, that it would speak to the people that need to hear it. In the name of Jesus, everyone said amen. Amen. So during this week, um, I did a lot of study, um, more than I actually usually do. It took me so long to understand these 71 verses that I read. Um, I almost had a heart attack. Not really, but it it was a long week. I'm not kidding, right? I spent two days just looking at my computer, and my eyes almost fell out. Um, So anyway, I was studying a lot this week. While I was studying, I ran across this event in history that I believe I actually have heard about before. I'm like positive I've heard about it before, but it never really hit me until I was in the midst of like studying this passage. And then it kind of came to life. And it was an event in history that happened in the late 1950s, early 1960s in China called the Great Chinese Famine. How many people have heard of this event in history? Anyone? Raise your hand. Okay, a couple of you. So I'm going to give you Trent Sparknotes version because I'm not an expert in any regard. So for me to try to explain all of it would make no sense. So here's my version, okay? So basically a Chinese communist leader by the name of Mao Zedong, say that, Mao Zedong. There's a good name for your future child. And the leadership of China's Communist Party decided to launch what we know as the Great Leap Forward. Okay, So the goal of the Great Leap Forward, in my understanding, was to rally all of the countries like their massive population, and make them um, accomplish in just a few years economic advances that had taken other countries decades in machinery to accomplish. So they were going to try to do this all with manpower. Okay, So Mao Zedong decides, and his leaders decide that they're going to um, take all the village people and they're going to put them in these massive communes to where these people would mass produce, pro- like, like harvest, mass produce harvest, mass produce food for the rest of the country, okay? And so essentially they took away all their freedom and they were like, okay, so you need to work for your own food and so you supply food for everyone else. Long story short, which is absolutely depressing and just terrible, is it caused a famine. A famine in which 36 million people died of starvation. 36 million people died of starvation. And so what happened is is people had to try to survive. And so what happened during this is they ended up eating all rational sources of food that they could. So animals, um, the products they had left that they had grown from the ground, all these different things. But then they gave way to eating things like tree bark and bird droppings and rats. And even sometimes they resorted to cannibalism just to survive. And another claim I found as I was looking is I found someone say that people actually found this sort of edible clay that they would either scoop up and just eat with their hands. One source I heard, I could only find it one source, but they said that they would actually take this clay, mix it with water, knead it into dough, and bake it almost as bread. And they would eat this. And then I was talking to Pastor Kevin about this, and he said this is still happening today because when he was in Ethiopia, Africa, just a couple years ago, one of the missionaries said that when people are facing starvation, they will eat clay like this. So what happens is these people eat this clay and it fills their stomach. But sadly, there's no nutritional value in this clay. So what ends up happening is they are full in their stomach, but they still die of starvation. There's no nutrients. They pass away. So they they subside the pain, but internally they're still dying and they die. And as I heard this, my heart broke and I could not help but feel the correlation that today we're facing a similar thing. And that's where 
Uh, my sermon and sentence comes in. See, because in America right now, frankly, I think a lot of people are facing a similar situation. I think humanity has been facing a similar situation um, since the very beginning of the world. So this next slide says, few, of, uh, few if any of us can even imagine what starving physically is like, but too many of us walk around every day starving internally, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, dying on the inside. And what's crazy is you may find yourself full for a moment but are you actually full with the right thing? And that's what I believe Jesus was trying to point out, first and most importantly, when he said, I am the bread of life. And if you eat me, you will never go hungry. You will never be thirsty. He was trying to go to the point of these people, the, all of us, we have a desperate need for something, and he is the answer to that need. Okay? Sound good? Shake your head, say amen. That's a good word. Okay, so when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, I believe he meant three things. So throw that first one up there. First one I think he said is, I am the sustenance of your life. And if you look up there and it says, when Jesus says, Eat bowl, he is saying, Julie texted me yesterday to prove my slide. She's like, I'm assuming this is a Greek word. Is it spelled right? I'm like, no, that's Trent's shorthand for I am the bread of life. Because A, who wants, to write out, who wants to write out every time I am the bread of life? And it takes up too much room on my slides. So Iatbol means I am the bread of life, okay? So when Jesus said I'm the bread of life, he was saying I am the sustenance of your life. And when he made this statement, it was groundbreaking and life-altering. And I know that because of three words he chooses to use. And I want to look at, look, look at all three words. The first word that he used that was groundbreaking was bread. And I know some of you love bread. So turn to your neighbor and say, I love me some bread. Bread is a great thing, okay, people? It's amazing. So what I want you to understand is when we read the Bible, oftentimes we're trained to look at every word and analyze it, every verse, every phrase, every word, and analyze it. We want to find every meaning we can find when it comes to a word or thing. Here's a silly example, but the word but, B-U-T, not B-U-T-T, B-U-T. So if you've been around the Bible for any amount of time, you'll read the word but, B-U-T, and immediately zone in on the passage. Let me show you. Okay, so if I'm a preacher and I choose a passage like Acts 7, 9 through 10, it says this, and I, this is how I'd preach it. Like this is how I just imagine it going down, like while I'm in the shower in the morning going like, we're gonna, we're gonna preach the house down today, okay? Acts 7, 9 through 10. Because Joseph brothers were jealous of Joseph, they sold them in, uh, sold them as a slave into Egypt. And then I would create all this tension. Maybe yours in slavery, right? And I'd, I'd, I'd build up all this tension. And then I would go, but God, because that's the next part of the verse. And I'd have you all repeat after me. Amen, right? And then I'd go, but God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. Hallelujah, amen. Dismiss church. Drop the mic, right? It's like, that's what happens. So like preachers, like this is like their bread and butter are these types of words. And if you've been around the Bible for any time, you have trained yourself to look for therefore, to look for B-U-T, but you've looked for these different things where like what's deeper in the passage? This is a great practice, but sometimes if you're like Trenton, you can overcomplicate it when Jesus wasn't trying to overcomplicate it. See, when he said, I'm the bread of life, he was not trying to complicate bread. Yes, there is a deeper meaning, and I'm going to show it to you, but at the end of the day, he wanted every single person that, he, that heard him say, I am the bread of life, to understand what he meant. And that's in all of these I am statements. He uses metaphors and things so that we can, as people go, uh, that's something I know and I can attach God to it. Does that make sense? So when he said bread, he meant, don't complicate it. How do you understand bread? What is it? What does it do? Why do you need it? Apply those same things to me. So in light of that, what is bread? For some of you, it's the greatest thing that God ever created on this earth, okay? 
Bread is, um, is a staple universal food all over the world. You can find it in pizza, biscuits, rolls, sandwiches, pastries. We are so addicted to bread. Instead of just eating salad for the, like, the fact of it being salad, we had to make croutons, bread, to put on top of it. Because we love bread so much. Okay? At times throughout history, and even today, it can be the most prominent food humanity eats. And there's some of you, not going to name anybody, there's some of you that choose to go to restaurants, not based on the menu options, but the free bread they bring out the whole time. I'm not one of those people, okay? I want to go and enjoy the meal, not just eat bread for the whole time. But some of you that love bread love this, okay? So Jesus' audience would have understood when, understood when he said bread, he was saying, I am essential to your life. I am essential to your life. And this is why I chose the word sustenance. See, the word sustenance means two things. First one, it means um, food and drink regarded as a source of strength. So it's focused on the body, okay? So food and drink regarded as, regarded, as, regarded as a source of strength. So this is not rocket science. You know that you need physical nourishment to stay alive. Thor understood this in the first Thor. He's like, this mortal being is weak. I am in need of? There you go. See, Thor, God of whatever. I don't even know where he's from. Yes, God of thunder. There you go. Thank you, Julie. Julie obviously loves Thor, so she knew. Okay? <laughs> My mom does too, so shout out to you, mom. Okay. Okay, so the second thing sustenance means is um, the maintaining of someone or something in life or existence. So it's a broader focus. So one's physical, one's broader, okay? When Jesus said, I am the bread of life, he was saying, I'm the sustenance of your existence. So we see this with the word bread, but we see it in two other words he uses. And this is like one of the best parts of my message, so zone in, okay? The other two words he uses that show us this are the words I am. The words I am, okay? And so for you, the words I am are nothing special. You use them every day. I am hungry. I am sleepy. I am frustrated. I am irritated. I am tired, right? Like we use I am all the time. But when Jesus said I am in the statement, it was something special. See, and this is again, we're knowing the original language that Jesus was speaking in and that this was written in is important. See, because in the Greek language, there are two words for I am. One is ego and the other one is Amy. So ego is where we get from, uh, get our English word ego. And so what happens is um, he could have said ego, the bread of life, or he could, said of, he could have said Amy, the bread of life. But Jesus didn't. He said ego, Amy. So he said ego, Amy, the bread of life. So in English, if, if we would have translated it right, we would have said I am, I am the bread of life. So as a person like me, you go like, great, Jesus has a stutter. Like, thanks for pointing that out. That's not what he was meaning. See, you have to understand his audience was Jewish. His audience for hundreds of years believed in, in, in God, in the true God, not a God created by man, God himself that revealed himself to Abraham, to Moses. They believed in this God. And there's a passage later on or in the Old Testament where God made a claim that Jesus was pointing to. And I want to show it to you. See, because these people, they would have heard Jesus say this and immediately thought back to this passage. And before I read it, I want to give you a little bit of context. See, so the nation of Israel, God's chosen people in Exodus, they're in slavery, kind of like I just said, they were delivered, they got manna. No, they were in slavery. And at this point, they cry out to God for help. So God comes to a guy named Moses and he says, Moses, I am sending you to go deliver these people. And Moses is like, who am I? And then what happens is God goes, hey, don't worry, I'll be with you. And then, and then Moses goes, okay, God, so let's say I choose to accept this mission impossible, okay? Did you get that reference right there? Got gotcha, you, okay. I choose to accept, uh, let's say I, I do this, okay? What am I supposed to do when I show up and, and they're like, who sent you? And God replies in Exodus 3.14 and he says this, 
I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. When, G, when God said, I am, he meant this. He said, I am the ultimate thing. I am self-sufficient and self-existent. The other gods of this world were made by man. I was before all of them. I created you. No one created me. Everything created has been created by me. All power and energy in the universe flows through me. Nothing is greater. I am outside the bounds of time. I am, I, I was, I am, and I am to come. So when he said this, he was saying, I, I, am, I am God. I am. Okay, so when Jesus made this claim later on, though, and they heard ego imi, they would have thought what Moses said or what Moses was told here. And how do I know that? From my understanding, 200 to 280 years before Jesus made the statement, people came in, scholars came in, and they translated the Hebrew of the Old Testament into Greek so people of that day could better read it. And when they translated Exodus 3.14, what do they translate I am who I am as? Ego Amy. So when he said ego Amy. It probably would have like knocked them back a little bit. They would have been like, this guy's claiming divinity. This guy is claiming to be God himself. So when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, yes, he wanted you to understand like, and connect it to the, the basic functions of bread. But he also wanted you to understand that he is the source of all life. Okay, so it gets better. So he's the sustenance of your life, but he's also, number two, the satisfaction of your heart satisfaction of your heart. By raise of hands, how many people here have seen the movie Tangled, Disney movie Tangled? I was watching it this week in my office for the sermon, and Naomi and Allie were like, what are you doing? This is really annoying. Turn it off. Actually, that was more Allie. Naomi didn't care. Anyway, babe, it's for spiritual purposes, okay? So here we go. So, um, so basically, in Tangled, there's this scene early on, and if you don't know what Tangled is, then um, you're missing out, okay? It's a modernized and expounded version of like the classic tale of Rapunzel. So anyway, in the beginning of this movie, there's a scene where Rapunzel wants to go see these floating lights. They, they happen once a year. She wants to go see them this year around, okay? So her mother, who she thinks is her mother, comes into the room, and Rapunzel keeps pressuring her, like, hey, mom, I want to go see these lights. Then her mom breaks off into song, a song we now know as Mother Knows Best, okay? So, and the whole point of the song is that Rapunzel's mother, I think her name's like actually Gothel or something like that. I don't know. Is it, someone said Yes. Thank you, Corey. Teacher in the room. Let's go. Okay. Gothel. Okay. So she, the whole point of, of this song is to tell Rapunzel that like she knows best. Like if Rapunzel knew what her mother knew, she would not want to go out into the real world. Later on, we find out this is all manipulation because Gothel is stealing um, this power from Rapunzel to stay alive um, forever, essentially. Okay. Super sad movie. And if you really think about it, it ends great. But like really, like the manipulation factor, super sad. So anyway, this scene came to mind when I thought of this story and when I thought of Jesus. Not because Jesus is manipulative. I didn't want to get struck by lightning right there, so I had to clarify, okay? Not because Jesus is manipulative, but because Jesus knows best. I think in children's church, we should start singing Jesus knows best instead of mother knows best. Jesus knows best. No, okay. It's catchy, okay. So anyway, what happens is in this story, is we see Jesus coming up to the crowd going, hey, I know best. And we can see this because, again, recap real quick, he just fed them all to the point of where they didn't need any more, okay? It says they were full, they were content. And then they're like, hey, this is awesome. We should live like this forever, free food. So let's make this guy our king. So when they show up in Capernaum across the lake the next day and they come up to Jesus and go, Rabbi, when did you get here? John 6, 25 through 27 
excuse me, Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. So you can't help but notice that Jesus just blows past their question, right? Like this is like a, a total parent move where your kid asks you something, you're like, direct them somewhere else. This is what Jesus just did. They go, when did you get here? And Jesus is like, you don't care about me. You just want free food. And so you have to ask, why did Jesus reply like this? Because he knows best. He knew their hearts and he wanted to teach them something. See, multiple times in the gospel accounts, we see where Jesus interacted with people, not based on what they physically said, like, or what they physically did or verbally said. He did it based on what he could read they were thinking and what they felt in their hearts. And that's what happens here. See, because again, he says, you are not looking to me or you're looking to me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. So you're not looking for me for the signs. You're looking for me because your stomach. What is he saying? What signs? See, and what you have to understand is all the miracles that Jesus did were signs. They were signs. And we have to ask, what's the purpose of a sign? Like in, in, in modern day, it's, it's to point to a destination. So let me like just paint a picture here so you can understand what Jesus is saying to them. If I was going from Salem to Portland this week, and I was driving down the highway in, in a good speed, so I didn't get pulled over, right? Amen. Teach the children good habits. Um, and I was driving down the road, and all of a sudden I hit like Brook or, Brooks or somewhere, and I go, oh, there's, there's a sign that says Portland, like 52. I don't know what the 52 is for, but it must be Portland. So I quickly change all lanes and park underneath the sign. And I'm like, I made it to my destination. Did I miss the point of the sign? Okay, let's take it one step further just for some of you that, that need a better picture. And this one's funny, okay? Let's say I'm walking through the mall, okay? And I see, I have to go to the bathroom really bad, and I see a sign that says restroom. And I walk over to the sign and start going to the restroom. Do you think I missed the point of the sign? Yes. Okay, this is what Jesus is trying to tell them, okay? The purpose of a sign is to point to a destination. It's not the destination. Jesus was saying, I didn't miraculously feed you just for the sake of feeding you. I miraculously fed you to, the, to point to the real reason I came. So what was the real reason Jesus came? Again, we have to keep digging into the scripture. John 6, 27 and 35. Do not work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures too. He came for eternal life. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He was not talking about some type of a physical hunger. He was talking about something much de deeper. And you can see this because, once again, meaning gets lost in translation. In English, we have one word for life, okay? One word for life. I can come up to you and be like nonchalantly, hey, how's life? At the same time, I can be in an emergency and go, does he have life? In Greek, there's multiple words for life. Two of them are bios and zoe. Bios and zoe. Bios is, um, is, is physical or material life. It's where we get our English word today, biology. Okay? So bios is like, is, is my body. It's like the, the, the activity in life around me. Zoe means fulfillment or vitality of life. So it transcends the physical and it's spiritual and eternal. And a side note, it's only a life that Jesus can provide. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he didn't use zoe, or he used zoe, sorry, he didn't use bios. He said, I am the bread of bios, not the bread of zoe. So they were coming up to him with a bios need, a physical need, and Jesus says, I can give you a zoe solution. 
In other words, he was saying the reason I came was not to satisfy your physical need, which by like in all rights and purposes, Jesus does do, right? Matthew 6, 33 tells us if we pursue him, he's gonna provide all the things that we need to survive in this life physically. So that's just a side note, which is super cool because God's so good. But he says, I came to satisfy something greater, a greater need. So what need? It's the heart need. See, and what we have to understand is each of us, just like this crowd, walk around our life focused on our bios life, the material things in our life, our possessions, our friendships, our, our, our job, our pay, our activities, our hobbies, all these different things. This is what we focus on. But what we have to understand is that in life, bios is not as important as zoe. See, we walk around life thinking we can fill a, a zoe need with bios solutions. See, every human has needs. We need, love, we need love, acceptance, fulfillment, identity, security. And what happens is we end up walking through life going, I can fill those things through getting drunk, through getting wasted, through a relationship, through having better pay, through having better purpose in my job. I can never commit to a relationship. I just need the sexual activity. We jump through life doing this, trying to fill a Zoe need with a bio solution. And this is what Jesus was pointing out. He was saying, you don't need a bios solution. You need a Zoe solution. And I'm the only one that can provide the solution. He was offering something greater. I am the bread of life who comes to me will never go hungry. I will fill that hole inside of you that needs purpose and meaning that you can find nowhere else. And we have to understand the story, what's interesting, and we have to apply it to our life, is they had their fill. They had enough to eat. And the next day they woke up and they were hungry again. The same thing happens when we try to fill our Zoe need with bios solutions. It doesn't fill for a long term. It may bring comfort once, but it ain't going to continue to bring comfort. You may have sex once with someone. You may look at pornography once with someone. You may pay way too much money and be in debt this one time, but that's not going to subside you. You keep doing it. You keep doing it. That's why there's addictions. And Jesus was saying, I don't want to, to fill your bios needs. I want to fill your Zoe need. Blaise Pascal said it this way. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each Man, which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. And so this is amazing. I mean, you think about what I just like showed you from Scripture. It wasn't Trenton. Like, this is just powerful. This is why like the Word of God is so amazing. This is why understanding these statements is absolutely amazing. Because Jesus is. He's the sustenance. He created life, and He sustains your life. He's the satisfaction of the deepest longings of your heart, where no one else can fill. But he's more than that. And that's, those are just like benefits and, and realities to the fact of what he really came for. And that's what I want to look at in point three. Because in point three, the reason I believe Jesus said I'm the bread of life, it's because he was saying I'm the savior of your soul. I'm the savior of your soul. And I want to be careful on this point because again, like last week I said, all of these topics cross over onto one another. So I don't want Larry to come beat me up in the parking lot later because I take part of his topic. So <laughs> I'm going to try to do my best not to veer too far into the lane. But as I was studying this passage, like I said, it's 71 verses. I only unpacked like, like 25 to 35. He ends up getting in this debate in 36 through like 69 where we see this whole thing unfold. And in it is where I believe Jesus says, I'm the savior of your soul. So let me show it to you today. But before I can, there's one thing that we all need to accept, and it's this. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. At some point in life, we're all going to die. 
I'm sure, I'm only 25, I'm sure the older you get, the more grips to reality you, 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 you come, right? You, you see this. People around you start dying. Loved ones, you face grief. Loved ones that you love die. There's these different things that make you go, man, one day I'm gonna die. So we all have to come to the reality of that today. See, we're all gonna live roughly what the average human lifespan, 79 years, but at the end of it, we're gonna die. But here's, here's what we need to understand. At the point of death, life does not end. See, because when you die, your body dies, but your soul does not. See, we're body and soul. And soul's the immaterial part of your body. Basically, it's who you are. Your body is just, is just a house or a container that contains your soul. So when you die on earth, your body's dying, your soul is still there. And what you have to come to grips with reality is in the world is try to explain this from the dawn of time in different forms and fashions. But if you believe in Jesus, which he is the only way, you go to one of two places. You go to heaven or hell. And there's only one thing that's the deciding factor between the two. So when Jesus said, I am, or work for the food that endures to eternal life, they absolutely 100% understood what he said. And we can clue in on this even more because in verse 59 of John chapter 6, it tells us that this whole conversation that I'm just unpacking with you happened in a Jewish synagogue. So basically, it was a religious institution for for the, the belief of the Jews. So all these people that Jesus was addressing understood what eternal life was. Because for hundreds of years, they believed in the God, I am who I am. They believed in the rules that he set forth, the do's and don'ts of religion, and that if they did those things, they would become righteous in the sight of God and they would make it to eternity. But Jesus, one of the biggest reasons, if not the biggest reason he came was to correct that type of thinking. Because again, they were going to, I can change my, my, my physical life, my bios life. And Jesus was going, no, like that's not what gets you to heaven. What gets you to heaven is when I fix, fix you with this Zoe need. I fix you with this Zoe solution. And so it's interesting because in the story, we already read it, so you may have picked up on it. But when Jesus said, they come up to him and Jesus, um, and they say, hey, where have you been? And Jesus goes, you're not looking for me because of who I am and what I can do for you. You're looking for me because you want some more food. And then he replies and he says, don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. And so what's funny is if you look at the account that happens is then they go, they, they go, oh, he's talking about eternal life. We know eternal life. We get, we get what eternal life it is. We have to, we have to work for it. So he goes, Jesus, you're saying we must work for this food that endures to eternal life. What work is that? And Jesus blows their mind at this point because he says, it's one thing. It ain't a bunch of rules. It's one thing. It's to believe in the one that God has sent. And then the rest of this conversation, you see, goes down the line and, and, and he starts talking about what it means to believe in him. And, and commentators are all over the spectrum of what the next verses mean. And if you really want to get into it, go, go read the scripture. You'll see how confusing it is and why I spend so much time looking at it. But let me sum it up this way. Basically what happens is he claims that I'm the son of God. I came from heaven and I have one purpose and that's to save you for eternal life. And these people don't like this. So you see the Jews start asking him questions. They can't comprehend it. And Jesus doesn't make it any easier for them. He just keeps pushing the matter to the point of where he says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. You're like, are you, are you like saying we should do cannibalism? That's not what he was saying. He was saying figuratively, you should so much believe in me that you consume me. You consume my life. You consume every part of me. 
And what you have to understand is this is where I was even talking to my dad about how confusing this was. And he's like, Trenton, like you're trying to explain it logically. What Jesus was saying is not logical in any form or fashion. It requires faith. That's why he said, you must believe in me. Believe in me, make your life me. Don't make your life about works and achievements. Don't make it about bios fantasies. Make me everything. And in doing so, he extended the greatest invitation ever. And sadly, we see the people's response at the end of chapter six. John 6, 60 says, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Who can accept it? Again, remember this audience had lived their whole life thinking that we can work our way to heaven. So you're now telling us we don't have to work. We just have to believe in you. They couldn't accept it. And then in John 6, 66, we see this. From this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And commentators speculated that in this portion of the scripture, what happened is that um, these people that had followed him for two years turned away at this point. So they had seen all his miracles, right? Water to wine, all these different things in the account of John. They turned away because of this teaching. And then we see in 67, do you, not, you do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. So after everyone clears out the Jewish, the, the religious leaders, um, all of his followers, he turns to his first original 12 and says, do you want to leave me too? And this is the best part of the whole story. This is Peter's reply. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And when I hear Peter say that, what I hear him saying is he's saying, Jesus, this does not make any sense. Like last week we learned that after this account, Jesus professes that Jesus is the Messiah, or Peter professes Jesus is the Messiah and gets it wrong and gets rebuked by Jesus. So Peter, when he said this, he still did not have a full grasp on who Jesus was. But what Peter understood in this moment is that he had one option and it was Jesus. And it's the same option that each and every one of us have to come to grips with. We have to go, Jesus is the sustenance of my life. He's the satisfaction of my heart. And if I want the benefits of those things, I have to let him save my soul. And the only way I can save my soul is by saying, Jesus, you are the son of God. And I believe 100% in who you are in your death, in your resurrection, and what that means for me. And what's cool is that we're gonna end this series looking at I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we're gonna talk about how controversial this type of thinking is. But today I wanna leave with the fact going, you need to, without a doubt, going, Jesus is the sustenance of my life. He's the satisfaction of my heart. And he is the savior of my soul. And there's only one way to access those things, by believing that he is the son of God and he died and he rose. And so in closing today, the title of my message again was, I've eaten all sorts of bread, but I'm still hungry. And my question is, have you consumed the bread of Jesus? Have you consumed the bread of Jesus? If you're like, if you're like Trenton, you have consumed all sorts of bread. You have gotten yourself into debt. You, have, you have, um, have chased after dreams, thinking that they would satisfy. You have lived in such a way at times that you thought if you could live this way, you would find fulfillment. And if you're like Trenton, you woke up one day and recognized, no, that's not happening. And luckily, I mean, not so luckily, Trenton's not perfect, so he wakes up every day and has to face this reality over again going, Trenton, yesterday, did you consume bread that won't fill or did you consume Jesus? And so my invitation for each one of us today as we, as we dim the lights is I, A, want to give a salvation call. If you, if you have not met Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to pray that prayer with you. But more importantly, I want you to in your heart go right now, Jesus, I'm sorry for consuming every other bread to try to satisfy something only you can satisfy. 
And I wanna pray today for forgiveness. And I wanna pray that we would all take a new step forward in putting Jesus first in a way we've not put him first before. Does that sound good? So first of all, if everyone wants to bow their heads, close their eyes. If you've not made this salvation prayer before, ever before, and said, Jesus, I, I wanna make you my Lord and Savior. I wanna give that opportunity for you today. Is there anyone that has not made that, that prayer before and wants to make it today? Just shoot your hand up. I'll pray with you. It looks like everyone's made that prayer, which is amazing. So now what I wanna do with your eyes still closed is again, like last week, I wanna give you 30 seconds to respond on your own. And I want you in this moment to say, Jesus, I'm sorry, because I know I've consumed all sorts of bios fillings, all sorts of physical material things, but I need, I need your Zoe solution. I need your Zoe solution. So just take 30 seconds today and do that. God, just like last week, God, I affirm and, 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 and go with these prayers that were prayed to you today. God, and I say, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm not even close to perfect at it, God, but every day I consume breads that will not satisfy my true needs. God, and I want you. God, just as we, we sing, we sang today, God, we need you more. God, today that's the prayer of our heart. God, and I pray for every person in this building right now going through situations, God, that they feel like they, can cannot, they cannot control. God, and I pray that the next time that thing comes on their mind, God, they would go, I serve and have within me the bread of life. I have within me the sustenance of this world so that he created me, he created my life, he created and allowed the things in my life so I cannot be defeated by them. God, I pray that the next time that they're feeling nervous or worried or insecure, they would remember God is the satisfaction of my heart and he's inside of me. I have all the identity and security that I need. God, and most importantly, God, I pray that as we all face death, God, as we all look at death, God, we look at the things that can harm our physical bodies, God, and the things that cloud our physical bodies like cancer, God, and, and, and brain trauma, God, and, and just physical old age death, God, all these things, God, they fail in comparison to who you are. God, you saved our soul, God, and we have an eternity on the other side of the 79 years of our life. So I pray for each heart and each, each mind that's facing the things of this life, God, and they feel overwhelmed to the point of weariness and defeat. And in the name of Jesus, I claim victory because you already claimed it for them. God, and we just thank you for that today. God, I pray that this will be a word that is planted deep inside of our hearts, God, something that, that brings harvest and fruit for a long time to come. And we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Was that a good word today? And it wasn't me, it was God. That's what I love. It's the craziest thing to me. It's like, I could stand up here and act like I'm great at this. But when I look at scripture, I'm like, you have to be pretty bad if you cannot like show them something cool because God's word is so good. It's so good. I, everything here was not made up by Trent. I just pulled it from scripture and told it to you. It's nothing was from me. And so what I want you to take away is going, God is so good. He's so gracious. I want to fall in love with his word. I want him to be the bread of my life.
I want it to change my life. So with that being said, I want to, again, thank you guys for coming today. I encourage you to meet someone on the way out. I encourage you to get someone's number, do life with somebody, pray for each other, pray for our nation, pray for what's going on, and let's continue to believe in hope in the name of Jesus. Sound good? With that being said, we'll see you in the weeks to come. Love you each. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.